All right, we're going to um, get into our teaching for today. Uh, we're going to start a series. I know I, this is a series, but I don't know if I'm going to do the entire series. Um, but I definitely will start it today. And the title of this series, as you can see, is going to be uh, Suffering to Reign. Suffering to Reign. Now, the title of the message uh, on today is going to be Growing Pains. It's going to be Growing Pains. Okay, all right, there we have it. And so, um, the what I wanted to do with this message is I wanted to kind of feed you guys some food that would kind of stick to your ribs, uh, something that you could uh, ingest even as I'm teaching it. Uh, this is a this is going to be a very very uh, powerful word. It's going to be um, very fundamental, which means it is going to help you grow. It, as basic as it is, uh, after you receive this word, you're going to see some things a lot clearer. Because the father is growing us up. He is not, he did not bring us into this lifestyle to just abandon us and leave us to ourself. And I think that's one of the um, main misconceptions of the church today is that we don't have a developmental program through scriptures in which we show people how much God wants us to grow as his children. And we don't have a developmental program as, as, as in us seeing God as our father and uh, seeing ourselves as children and the fact still remains that if you do not see him as your father then you don't hear him as your father let me say that again if you do not see him as your father then you do not hear him as your father and you cannot survive this walk just hearing god you hear people say all the time they have a relationship with God. That relationship has to be defined. You cannot have a relationship with God. All right. You are a human. He's a he's a, a divine being. He has to bring you to his level. And when he brings you to a child, he is your father. That is the relationship and the reason why you need to know that relationship and understand that relationship and the reason why you need to know that relationship and understand that relationship is because with relationships come covenants. And the father is the one that created the covenant. We didn't create the covenant. And if he created the covenant, then he has to obey the covenant. He didn't create a covenant and tell us just you just obey this covenant. And I have no place in it. So we have to hear him as a father. And when we hear him as a father, we will, we, we, it, will, it will only be because we recognize ourselves as being his children. If we don't hear him as a father, then we don't see ourselves as being his children. And that is probably 99% of the issues in the body of Christ because we want to serve Jesus and we want to know God. But the only way you can know him is to know him through this relationship. So we're going to be talking about growing pains on today and um, because we are eternally in a state of growth and we never max out. We never cap off. We'll never stop growing here in earth. All right. When you're talking about growing into being an eternal being or being like an eternal being, that is going to take the duration of your life. And so with growth comes pain. Mental pain, 
physical pain, social pain, financial pain, and spiritual pain. And so the title of our, um, this series is uh, Suffering to Reign. And so our scripture that we're coming from is going to be 2 Timothy 2 and 12. And it reads, if we suffer, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Now, it says if we suffer, which means that we have a choice in the matter. We don't have to suffer with him. But if we suffer with him, we will reign. But if we do not suffer and we choose not to not to suffer with him, then we automatically deny him. And if we deny him, he will deny us. And it's not a thing where he de he's denying that we are his siblings. It's just when it comes time to operate in that power, when it comes time to receive his blessings and walk in the things that we should walk in, he denies us. Because the Bible says we have to study to show ourselves approved, which means that if you are not if you're not being approved, then it's something you don't know. It's something that you have not studied and you're walking into some you're walking into situations in which you're thinking you're prepared for, it, but you're really not. And so he says, if we suffer with him, we will reign with him. The Bible says that we are already seated in heavenly places. The Bible says that we are joint heirs with him, but we can't receive that inheritance and we can't sit with him until we first suffer with him. And if he's asking us to suffer with him, then what he's asking us to do is endure some afflictions with an understanding that there will be a reward in the end. He's asking us to suffer. So so when he asks us to suffer, he's asking us to tolerate some things with the understanding that there is an expected end. And so suffer means to persevere. It means to persevere under misfortune and trials while you hold fast to the Christian faith. It means to endure to bear bravely and calmly ill treatments. Now, no one's a fan of that. Now, if I can give you a, um, um, a better, a clearer definition of suffering, I would tell you like this. It is knowing that you have an internal calling, but you have external factors, okay, that are coming up against that. You have an internal calling. You hear the father telling you this is who you are. But outside of you, you have conditions and circumstances that are contrary to that. And if when you suffer, it means that you are going to stick with what the father say, regardless of what's going on around you. So he says we, if we suffer, we will reign. Reign means that we will, we will possess a supreme honor. We will possess a supreme liberty of freedom. We will possess a supreme blessedness. Hebrews 12 and 11 talks about um, in that entire passage uh, of Hebrews chapter 12. It talks about us being chastised by the father. And it, it mentions how we had earthly fathers who chastised us for a while. And we received that. 
because you cannot grow if you are not challenged. You cannot grow if you are not chastised. You cannot grow if you are not corrected. You cannot grow. And so in Hebrews 12 and 11, it lets us know that we are being chastised and it does not feel good. But after the chastisement is done, we, we have this righteous fruit that we will receive. And so it doesn't feel good at the time, but when it's all said and done, you're going to be happy. It is so many people in, it is so many men and women in prison right now that wish somebody would have whooped their butt. Okay. Wish somebody would have disciplined them. That's why we can't be afraid to discipline our children. Forget what the government's talking about. Okay. We have it's state and government. We have to discipline our children. If we don't discipline our children, the Bible says that we're sending their souls to hell. But when we discipline them, the Bible says that we're rescuing their souls from hell. And so there has to be a discipline. And so the discipline is to bring us into a place where we reign with him because we we are growing, but we are not just growing. We are being raised. All right. You can grow, meaning you can go from age one to 10, you know, to 20. But to be raised means someone is behind that growth process. Someone is leading you on the way there. Parents are for guidance. And so the whole purpose of this relationship with the father is for guidance. It is for guidance. And so we're going to get into some scriptures on today and, and we're going to come from Second Corinthians chapter two. No, chapter four. And I think we're going to go from uh, verses one through 12. And this is Paul dealing with the Corinthian church. And we know that Paul had the assignment of introducing the kingdom to the Gentiles. He had the assignment of introducing the father to the Gentiles. He had the assignment of raising them and teaching them how to hear the father's voice, understand the father's kingdom and walk therein. And so he starts off in, in uh, um, verse one and he says, therefore, since we have this ministry. Now, the reason why he said this, because in chapter three, he was explaining to them that that, the, that you have the ministry of condemnation, but then you have the ministry of righteousness. And so the ministry of condemnation is the law because it's only there to condemn. It's not there so you can grow. The law is not there so you can grow. The law states that if you do this wrong, if you break this, that, that there's a penalty for it. But with the ministry of righteousness, it says that you have been made right in the father's sight and he wants to raise you to be who he predestined you to be. So he was letting them know in chapter three, go back and read that, you know, at your own time. He was letting them know in chapter three that if the ministry of condemnation had glory attached to it, then even more the ministry of righteousness, which is the ministry of reconciliation, which is the ministry of grace, it will be even more glorious. So Paul is saying, therefore, since we have this ministry, the ministry of grace, the ministry of reconciliation, as we receive mercy. Now, why are we receiving mercy so that we can grow? He says, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame. And he's saying, so because we have this ministry and we have received this mercy, 
We don't lose heart, but what we do do is we start to renounce. We start to renounce hidden things, worldly things, secret things in the innermost parts of our heart because we don't want anything to affect this glorious ministry that he has given us. This is the most powerful thing in the planet when you fully understand that the father came because he wanted this relationship. This whole thing about the Bible and mankind exists because he wants to be our father. And this is the most powerful thing in the world on the face of this earth. But also in, in Christendom and in religious uh, world, it is the, the least represented or spoken about. And so he says, we have renounced these hitting the, the, the things hidden because of shame, because there's shame, the, the uh, ministry that we have been given. It don't make any sense for God to put together a plan to get you back into the family, to bring you into his family, into a glorious lifestyle. But then at the same time, what you end up doing is living a life contrary to that. That's a shame. And he says not walking in craftiness mean manipulation or adulterating the word, meaning we're not watering down the word of God. We're not watering down what he said about us. He's, we're not watering down the rules and regulations, what we should do and what we shouldn't do. We're not watering that down. He says, but by the manifestation of truth, we are commending ourselves to every man in the sight of in the conscious he says we are commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So the ministry that we have and that we are given and that we are unleashing before you. And this goes the same thing for divine generation church. OK, the manifest the manifestation of truth that we are giving you, you guys, we are doing this in, in the conscience of every man for the conscience of every man. But we are doing this in the sight of the father. And so in verse three, he says, and even if our gospel is veiled or hidden, he says, if our gospel is hidden or veiled, it is veiled or hidden to those who are perishing. So he's saying that we have this ministry to release this gospel and the entire gospel is about Jesus coming here. But he didn't. This, the, the, the gospel is not about Jesus arriving and dying on the cross. It's about why he came to die. He came to die so we can be reconciled. The whole purpose of him dying on the cross when he said it is finished was to get us back into this relationship with the father. When he said it is finished, he was saying you can now. You can now have your children back. Children, you can now come to the father. It is finished. The plans that was established before the foundation of the world are now available to you. So if you are perishing, you are perishing because you don't know the gospel. You don't know that he has made this available for you. If you are perishing, it's because you don't know the gospel and you are not growing into Christ, but instead you are growing into into Satan. If you are perishing, it's because you are not growing in the kingdom of dark of God, of God but you are growing in the kingdom of darkness. So and, and my proof is is verse four. My proof is verse four. He says, in whose case 
The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So those who cannot see, they can't see one because they're unbelievers. And because they are unbelieving, the Bible says that Satan has blinded their minds because they want to believe contrary to what the gospel says. Satan has 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 blinded their minds. Watch this. It says so that they might not see. He does not want them to see the light of the gospel. He does not want them to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ because the light of the gospel is the the uh, uh, the illuminating or the enlightening of what the gospel is all about. Satan does not want people to know that God is their father. He wants to keep them in a religious mode. He wants to keep them under the law. He does not want that that uh, a relationship to come about because the Bible says that if we are still under the law, we pretty much do away with what Jesus did. If Jesus died on the cross to fulfill the law and bring us into grace and we are still under the law, then we live as if Jesus has never that he didn't die on the cross. We live as if there is no new covenant. So he says, in whose case the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds. He has blinded the minds. Your soul, your heart is blinded. He has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel. He does not want them to see. He does not want them to be enlightened or illuminated by the glory of Christ. Now, when we talk about the glory of Christ, we're talking about the condition that we were put in because of what we accepted. Because I just told you the whole purpose of this gospel was to situate us and put us in a place where we were joint heirs with Jesus Christ. To put us in a situation where we were God's children, where we were seated in heavenly places, where we were his beloved, where we were predestined and purposed to do a thing. And because we have this glory, we are we are perfect in his sight. We are righteous in his sight. And so verse five, Paul says, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bond servants for Jesus sake. And so just like in divine generation, we are not trying to conform you to our image. We do not want you to be. We do not want you to be like. Uh, McKinley and Cindy. We do not want you to be like McKinley and Cindy. We are here to conform you to the image of Christ. Therefore, what that makes us is it makes us servants for Jesus sake. It makes us slaves to you to make you masters. It puts us in a place where we are the teachers and you are the students. We are the college professors and you have enrolled into a university and it is our job to to uh, uh, to make sure that you graduate with a, de a degree and conform into the image of Christ. It is our job. And so we have been called to reconcile you to this relationship. We have been called to redistribute the kingdom to you, to reimburse your destiny to you. I'm going to read those three things again. We have been called to give you this relationship 
to give you the kingdom and to reimburse you your destiny. That's what Jesus meant when he said that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why in verse six, it says for God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so it was nothing but darkness here. It was the father's idea to say, okay, I see nothing but darkness. I see nothing but a world here. I see nothing but the worldly systems here. I'm going to send my son into the world. For God said that light will shine out of darkness. Light represents divine truth. Darkness represents divine ignorance. So in the middle of divine ignorance, he sent divine truth. Why? To illuminate us. The Bible says because he wanted to show us in our heart the light of the knowledge. So he wanted to enlighten us and give us the knowledge of the glory of God through Christ. So he wanted to show us, look, I came to position you in Christ so you can have this. Hmm. I came to position you in Christ so that you can have this. It is our father who established the fivefold ministry. It is him who desires that you be spiritually educated. He wants you to be spiritually educated. Why? Because he sees the value in you learning and understanding who you are. That's why verse seven says this. And we're about to get into the meat of the message. Okay, we're about to get into the meat of the message. In verse seven, he says this, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. So after all he just said, okay, in the first six scriptures, it basically sums up. I put you here on earth. I am the one that started all of this for the purpose of developing you so you would know who you are. And so right here, Paul is telling them, you have treasure in earthen vessel. So inside of your vessel is Christ. You are one with Christ. That is the treasure that is in your earthen vessel. Your earthen vessel is your body. It's your flesh. So in your flesh, he says, is my DNA. In your flesh is my spirit. Inside of your flesh is my child. And so I want to raise you in a way and provide this information to you. The, I want to give you the light of the knowledge. I want you to know these things so that you can understand that the surpassing greatness of this power is of God. And it did not come from you. The surpassing greatness is the superiority. It is the excellence. It is the preeminence. In other words, he's letting us know I my intentions on doing this was to create a dominant race. And so God is more than just a being. That's why I'm telling you, you don't want to just have a relationship with God. You want to know the relationship so you can live from the relationship because God is more than just a being. When we say God, we're not just talking about the father. We're talking about the son. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. We're talking about that the entire heavenly body. Amen. So God is more than a being. 
He's it's a race of people that are godly, that are holy, that are sanctified. That's why Paul is revealing who we are and what we have. He's letting us know this is the whole purpose of the church. This is the entire purpose of the church is to reveal to us who we are and what we have. And so as our father, he is trying to raise us in a manner that so that we can mature. But it is through these growing pains. And unless we go through these these growing pains, we don't have access to the treasure or the greatness. I'm going to say that again until we go. If we don't grow through these pains, then we can never have access to the treasure and the greatness that is in there. How do I know that? Because if we don't suffer, we can't reign. And so in verse eight, and nine, he starts to mention what these sufferings look like. And so in verse seven, he it says, but we have treasure. We have this treasure in earth and vessels so that the surpassing greatness of power will be of God and not of ourselves. Verse eight, he says, we are afflicted in every way. We are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not despairing. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. So he's letting us know you are going to go through afflictions. You are going to be perplexed. You are going to get persecuted. You are going to be struck down. This is going to happen to you. It happened to Jesus. It happened to Paul. It happened to Abraham. It happened to Isaac. It happened to Jacob. It happened to Moses. So you are going to be afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, and you are going to be struck down. So he said we are afflicted in every way. So when you're afflicted, he says we are distressed. We, are, we have troubles. We are bound by situations and circumstances. We have pain. I know I got some amens going on. I know I do. Because we are going through these things now. We get vexed in our spirit. We have pains in our body, in our mind, in our heart, our emotions. We have pains there. We make bad decisions. We have bad relationships. We have all of these challenges that we go through. But according to scripture, according to Paul in developing the Corinthian church, he says you are afflicted in every way, but you are not crushed. So although you have these distresses and these troubles and you are bound by situations and circumstances, although you are vexed, you are not restricted in the spirit. There's nothing stopping you from praying. There's nothing stopping you from fasting. There's nothing stopping you from reading the word. There's nothing stopping you from fellowshipping. You have sufficient space. You have ample space has been granted for you in your soul to grow. These afflictions are not coming from the father. They're coming from life, but they are growing pains used to grow you up. And you're going through this right now. We are perplexed. We have been at a loss. 
with ourselves. We have been in doubt before. We have been in situations where we don't know what to decide. We have been puzzled with family dynamics, on our jobs, with our businesses, with our career, with our future, what to do with money, how to get money. We are confused. A lot of times we don't know which way to go. We don't know how to put life together. Sometimes we are perplexed, but we are not despaired, which means because we go through these things does not mean that we have lost out on life. It does not mean that we are destitute of measures and resources. We have not renounced all hope. It means that heaven has not cut you off because you are because you are you, you lack understanding. All these things. Anytime you are going through these perplexed moments, these puzzle moments, it is time for you to get on your face and seek the father. It is time for you to get in your word. These things come so that you can grow up. We all been persecuted. Meaning we have all been harassed. Life has harassed us. The boss has harassed us. We have been harassed. We have been troubled. We have been molested or bothered. Things have touched us in the wrong way. We have been spoken ill of. We have been abandoned. We've been lied on. We've been overlooked because of prejudice. Overlooked because we're gifted. We've been challenged and mistreated. But the persecution does not mean that you have been abandoned. It does not mean that you have been deserted. It does not mean that you have been left helpless. We have been struck down. Meaning we have been cast down. We have been thrown to the ground. We have been prostrate. Okay. There are some things that have come into our life. Some deaths. We have lost some loved ones. Some people who are close to us. People have walked out of relationships. There have been divorces. We've been beaten down. By words. By fists. By rejection. We have suffered loss. There have been devastating moments. We have been depressed, oppressed. But that doesn't mean that we are lost. That does not mean that we are ruined. And that does not mean that we will perish. It does not mean that. And so Paul is trying to get us to see that we do. We are going to be afflicted. We are going to be perplexed. We are going to be persecuted. We are going to be struck down. Suffering is is the facts of life. It is a part of life. It is a fact of life. You cannot escape persecution. You cannot escape bad moments. You cannot escape uh, uh, times in your life where you don't understand. And you are afflicted. Those are the facts of life. But. As we grow up and we mature, okay, we get afflicted, but with the affliction, we have an understanding that we are not being crushed. 
as we grow up, we're being perplexed, but we understand when the perplexed moments come that that, that does not mean that we should go into a, a mode that we are hopeless. As we mature, when persecution comes, we know we are not being forsaken. When we are being struck down, we know that we are not being destroyed, but it only happens as we mature. When we get, first walk, start walking in this life, soon as we get afflicted, we think we're being crushed. Soon as we get afflicted, we think that heaven has abandoned us. Soon as we are perplexed, we feel that we go immediately into hopelessness. When we're immature. But God has put us here. Our fathers has put these things in our life or allowed them in our life so that we can be matured. Because soon as we get persecuted, we feel like we've been forsaken. Soon as we've been struck down, we feel like we've been destroyed. And sometimes we sit in these things for months. Some people sit in these things for years. But as you grow, you realize the truth. And that there's a difference between the facts and the truths. The facts are momentarily. They're temporal. The truths are eternal. When we got saved, we got eternal life. We didn't get temporary life. With eternal life comes eternal love. It comes eternal peace, eternal patience. Which means that our life, if our life never ends, the love never ends. That's why the growing never stops. It never stops. Jesus was afflicted. He took the cat of nine tails. He took the crown of thorns. He was afflicted. Jesus was perplexed. He was in the garden of Gethsemane. Crying, weeping. I don't want this cup. If we can do this another way. Let's do it that way. Okay, we can't. All right, let's do it your way, Father. Let your will be done. Jesus was persecuted. Family didn't believe in him. Brothers didn't believe in him. Town didn't believe in him. Religious people came up against him. Government tried to kill him. Jesus was struck down. He had to carry his cross. His flesh was torn apart. His clothes was rent off of him and sold right before his face. He was mocked, hung on the cross to die. And how do you feel knowing that you have all of this power and someone, watch this, someone is mocking you, where's your God now? You can save others, but you can't save yourself. How would you feel, okay, if you had the power to, to take somebody out with a saying of your word, but you had to withhold that? He could have done it. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my soldiers would have been here. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, a, a legion of angels would have came. Now, it only took two angels to move the stone. A legion of angels is, 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 is like 20,000 angels. It can be up to 20,000, uh, uh, but a minimum of like 2,000 angels. He's saying, if I really wanted to get out of this situation off this cross, I could do it. You can't take my life. I'm giving it. I'm allowing you to do this. So, we are being matured by way of ab adversity. 
We are being matured by way of adversity. Adversity comes in your life to mature you. You have to go through things to stretch your faith muscle. You have to be put in situations where they make you really believe in which you really have to depend on the voice of the father. Where you really need that word, where you really need your brothers and sisters in Christ, where you really need a spiritual family. Your life is always going to go through these moments because we have to labor to enter into rest. This is what this means. This is how you labor to enter into these rests. When these afflictions come up, these persecutions come up, when these perplexed moments, when you are being struck down, these are the times where you need to have peace. These are the times that we have to understand that my father loves me. Scratch that. My father so loves me. He so loves me, meaning that life is that meaning it is bottomless. It's, it's, it's unfathomable. OK, it's unexplainable. You can't measure his love for you. The Bible says nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. No affliction. No persecution, no life, no death. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. So we are going through these things because we are being matured by way of by way of adversaries of adversity. And so you need adversaries to grow up. I know that's not a popular word, but you need adversaries to grow up. That's why verse 10 says that we are always carrying about in the body, the dying of Jesus. So in your body, there's always a funeral for your will. Going on in your body at all times, there's a funeral going on. There's something trying to kill your will. There's something trying to kill your will so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in your body. So he's trying to kill you so you can resurrect. He's trying to make you die to your will so you can resurrect in his life. It's an exchange. That's why he lets us know that you have to lose your life to gain a life. And how do you lose your life? Through adversity. Through being challenged, through persecution. When the Bible says, blessed are those who are persecuted. When the Bible says that we will receive a hundredfold in this lifetime with persecution, we'll receive all of the divine amenities with persecution. We, we have to suffer to reign. But one of the issues is, is that people just want the glory. They don't want to suffer. People want power, but they don't want to suffer. People want to do miracles. They want to walk in faith. They want to see authority, signs and wonders. But what about the other side of it? What about the other side of it? If you can't suffer, you can't be trusted with power. Any athlete, professional athlete will tell you it is not about game time. What they love is the training that gets you there. You have to fall in love with the preparation that gets you to the game. You can't fall in love with the stage. You can't fall in love with performance. 
You have to fall in love with the with the what it takes to get the performance there. You have to fall in love with practicing. As an athlete, you have to fall in love with working out. You have to fall in love with the with the preparation process. And this is why. Verse 11. It says for we who live I want y'all to hear this. Verse 11. Woo! For we who live are constantly being delivered. We are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus sake. We are constantly being delivered over to Jesus sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. We are constantly being delivered over. So it's not a thing where we're walking into things accidentally. These things are being preordained in our life. We are being put into situations so that we can grow. People are talking about you for a reason. It is going to be situations where you are not going to get chose just to see how your character handles the situation. It is going to be times where people are going to get blessed in front of you just so you can see if you can fulfill the scripture of being joyful with people who have joy and mourning with people who mourn. Your jealousy is going to be tested. Your envy is going to be tested. The boss is going to talk to you a certain way so that in your mind, the father can see where you are because you asked for a promotion. It is going to happen. Somebody is going to offend you and the offense is only going to come to see how mature you are. It says we are constantly being delivered over. As if we are being kidnapped and taken to a black site to be interrogated. We are constantly being delivered over. And the reason I use that, the, the CIA and the black site, because sometimes this can feel like betrayal. Pruning does not feel good. Chastisement does not feel good. It does not feel good to be corrected, to be told that you're wrong, to be told that you're immature, to be told that you're carnal, to be told that you need to grow up. Doesn't feel well. But those are the marks. Okay. That's what makes it humility. That's what brings about humility. This is what brings about humility is you being challenged. Because it says that we are constantly being delivered over to death. So you are being delivered over to afflictions. You are being put in situations where you are perplexed. Where you are being persecuted, where you are being struck down and it's all being done to produce a spiritual life in you. I remember. When I went to the military and I remember driving on my way to St. Louis being uh, uh, the recruiter was taking me to St. Louis. I'm going to St. Louis to meet with a bunch of people. They put us all on the bus and took us to Fort Leonard Wood. Now we are being delivered 
to Fort Leonard Wood. We are being delivered here for the purpose of being trained to be soldiers, to be taught, to be molded, to be tested. And this went on for 16 weeks. It went on for 16 weeks. Training full battle rattle. When I say that, I mean full body armor in 110 degrees marching for 12 miles. Okay, during training exercise exercises, uh, uh, being punished because somebody in your group did something wrong. But the whole purpose of punishment is to weed out the weak, to find the leaders and to build camaraderie. But they don't tell you that. They will put us through rigorous situations and then put us in situations where we had to perform. So we will march 12 miles, have to react to ambushes. And then after all of this being scolded and have to do pushups, they will take us to the shooting range and tell us now shoot. Y'all don't hear me. I'm telling you. <laughs> they will put us in gas chambers so that we would know what, what would it feel like if in, in real time war. You don't train during war. You train before war. You're training right now for your destiny. I had to tell somebody that yesterday. Sit on my couch and said, this is what's going on in my life. Yes, you're being trained to be a leader. You're being trained to lead. Every child of God is being trained to lead. Every child of God is being trained to dominate. And so he says that we are constantly being delivered over for the sake, for Jesus sake. So this is Jesus doing. Jesus said, this is my mandatory program that you must go through. Why? So that the life of Jesus can be manifested in your mortal life, in your mortal body, on your mortal flesh. So verse 10 says, that we're caring about the body, the, uh, uh, we are caring about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus can be manifested. 11 says we are being delivered over for Jesus' sake so the life of Jesus can be manifested in our mortal flesh. Paul continually said the same thing. I labor with you until Christ is conformed in you. He's showing you the conformity. Have the mind of Christ. He's showing you how to get the mind of Christ. Endure. That's why in verse 12, he says, so death works in us, but life in you. So death works in us, but life in you. Meaning, I've already went through this process. I'm still going through this process. Paul's letting them know, I've already been afflicted. I've already been perplexed. I've already been persecuted. I've been struck down. Paul was stoned and had to be resurrected. Paul was shipwrecked. Paul used to be a, a, a Pharisee, was killing Christians, came over to this side. And now the, 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 the very Pharisees and Hebrews that he was running with are trying to kill him and the Christians are protecting him. Hmm. So he says, so death works in us, but life in you. So we've died through these situations.
to have the life of Christ so we can sit before you and, and, and teach these things to you. Just like a divine generation, me and my wife are pouring things in you from the death that we have already experienced. We've already experienced betrayal in ministry. We've already experienced people lying on us. We've already been in ministry and been jealous. We've already been in ministry and been envious. We've been passed up and overlooked. We've been talked about. We've been told we were going to fail. Death is working in us, but the life is working in you. You get to first, you get the first hand uh, experience, the first hand knowledge of people who have been through it and can now walk you through it. Amen. This is real. Death is working in us, but the life is working in you. And understand this, you, uh, you have to carry your cross. You have to die on that cross. You have to die so others can live. If you don't die, others won't live. And that is the whole purpose of your life is you dying so people can live. You're dying to your will so people can live. The whole thing behind Jonah and him sitting in that well, it, it, it had a little to do with him disobeying the father, but a lot to do with Nineveh, where he had to go. And so everything you are going through right now is for the purpose of the people that you are going to minister to. Everything I went through from 2000, well, from, from, from my birth all the way to 2018 was so that when we started Divine Generation Church, I could, I, I, won't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, how can I say this? Hmm. I wouldn't get weary. We wouldn't get weary during this time. Why? Because we had already experienced stuff. We had already seen ministry. And so death is working in us, but life is in you. So in my conclusion, I'm going to use Hebrews. Uh, we're going to read Hebrews chapter four, verse 15. In my conclusion, it says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points Tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus being our brother is also our high priest. Now the job of the high priest in the natural was to go into the tabernacle, go into the temple, and at the, and at the, uh, the, the uh, deepest part of the temple was the Holy of Holies. And what the, what the high priest would do is he would go in there and he would sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. Every year he would go in there and he would sacrifice uh, for the sins of the people and himself. But the thing about our high priest is that he had no sins. And the thing about our high priest is that he went into the holies for holies one time and one time only. But the brilliant thing about this is, is that our high priest not only did he have no sins, but the Bible says that he could sympathize with our weaknesses. He could sympathize with our weaknesses. Meaning that he was affected with the same feelings that we have. Because he was affected with these weaknesses, he has compassion for us. The Bible says that he was that he sympathized with our weaknesses because in all points he was tempted, which means in every way imaginable, there is nothing that you are being that you have been tempted with that he has not been sexually. Physically, mentally, socially, economically, he has been 
challenge. He has been through it already. He was tempted. He was tempted by Satan for 40 days in the wilderness, but came out on the other side. And so he was being tempted so that the father could ascertain the quality of his soul before he gave him this, this illustrious ministry. And so we look at his ministry all the times. We always look at his ministry. We see his ministry, all the things he do, but we don't see the temptation. We rarely talk about that. That is not a focal point of how he got his ministry, what he had to do to get it. And so the Bible says that he was yet without sins. And, and the most elementary definition of sin of, of, of sin I can give you is Jesus did things according to the kingdom of heaven. And that's what the basics of sin is, is when you don't do it, how the kingdom of heaven would do it. And that's why we have such a grace in this life. The grace in this life is because we have to first learn how the kingdom of heaven would do it before we can do what the kingdom of heaven would do. And so all during this time, Jesus remained focused on what the father's will was. And so you have to understand this. We are eternally woven into his family. We're just going through what our high priest went through, what our elder brother went through. He was afflicted, but knew he was not crushed the mind of Christ. He suffered. He was perplexed, but did not get hopeless. He suffered. He was persecuted, but knew his father would not forsake him. He was not worrying about the father forsaking him. The only time the father forsook him was when he had to put all of the sins of the world on him for our sake. So the only time he ever forsook him was for our sake. But he resurrected. So although he was struck down, he didn't perish. Although he died, he went into the ground, he resurrected. That's why Paul said in, in Philippians 3 and 10, he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his, su his suffering being made conformable to his death. So Paul said this whole relationship, I need to understand it. He said, I want to know him, but I don't want to just know him. You know, everybody want to know Jesus. Everybody know Jesus, right? Everybody know God. Everybody got a relationship with God, right? But do you understand? But do you have the power of his resurrection? Meaning does the Holy Spirit sit upon your life to, to uh, uh, for the gifts of the spirit? Do the Holy Spirit sit on you? Does it does the Holy Spirit rest on you? For development. Everybody know God. Everybody say they're a Christian. Everybody say they got a relationship with God. But what about the fellowship? The fellowship. Uh, but do they fellowship with his suffering? Everybody go to church. Everybody know a pastor, a priest. Everybody say my uh, 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 my daddy, a pastor. My family. I've been in ministry. I've been going to church for this. That ain't the question. The question is. Are you being made conformable to his death? So do you know him? Do you know the power of his resurrection? Can you fellowship with him in suffering? And are you willing to be made conformable to his death? So I'm going to pray 
uh, uh, I want to pray. Father, as we grow, we ask right now that you would awaken our senses to the afflictions of our life. Father, we ask right now that you will awaken our senses, oh, Father, to the persecution of our life. We ask you, Father, that you would uh, awaken our senses, oh, Father, to the perplexed moments, oh, Father, to the moments that we are being struck down. Father, we ask that you would help us to see, Father, that although, oh, Father, we are be afflicted, oh, Father, that we are not crushed, oh, Father, although that we are persecuted, oh, Father, that we have not been forsaken, Father, that although, oh, Father, hallelujah, oh, Father, that we have been perplexed, oh, Father, that we are not being destroyed, oh, Father, Help us, Father, not to get distracted, oh, Father, by the, the afflictions, oh, Father. Help us not to get distracted by the persecutions, oh, Father, by the moments that we are perplexed or being struck down, oh, Father. But help us instead, oh, Father, in the name of Jesus, to understand the truths over the facts, oh, Father. Allow the Holy Spirit, oh, Father, to bring back to our remembrance, oh, Father. Hallelujah. The heaven has not abandoned us, oh, Father. Help us, oh, Father, to understand stand, O oh Father, that the facts of earth, O oh Father, are not the realities of heaven, Father. Help us, Father, to remember, O oh Father, that Satan is a liar, O oh Father, that he is a liar and he cannot tell the truth, O oh Father. So let us not succumb to his lies and the fears of the things that are going on around us, O oh Father. Let us not succumb to the weakness of our flesh, O oh Father, but let us, O oh Father, hallelujah, O oh Father, rely on the unchangeable truth of your kingdom, so, Father, we thank you right now, Father, that we reign in this life with Christ. We thank you, Father, for the glory, O Father, and the grace as your beloved children, O Father. So we appreciate you, O Father. We love you, O Father, and we thank you for what you have done and what you are going to do, Father. In Jesus' name, we receive this word and this prayer, O Father, with your power. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.